So let us each take a moment and ask ourselves, as we have journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks, am I applying all that Jesus teaches? This is how we will know whether we are wise or foolish. None of us want to be judged as foolish. (laughs) We want to be judged by God as wise. How will your house be if you build on the rock of Jesus? If Jesus is the rock that we build on by doing what He says, then we are firm, we are solid, we are strong. And listen to this, very important. Then we can withstand the storms of life that will come. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. I'm excited to share with you the Word of God today. We are, we are a blessed and a highly favored people. Amen. And um, I feel privileged to be exactly where I am today. Yesterday, after we did the, the setup of the hall, we were driving home and I was chatting to my kids and making some jokes. And they said to me, wow, dad, you're in a really good mood. <laughs> I said, am I not normally in a good mood? <laughs> and I said, you're normally kind of just chilled. Um, and I said, you know what? I think it's because I was busy with what I was called to do. And, and I, I get, there's such a high that, that I experience when I'm busy with what God called me to do. And that even is when, I, when we roll up cables and push crates around and get everything up and running. Because I know it's not about this stuff. It's about what this helps us to do. And that is to help you encounter God. Align with His purposes so you can reign in life. More than ever, this world needs children of God to know who they are in Jesus and to live from that place. Because the world has lost its mind completely. Used to still kind of be all right, but it seems like it's, yeah, it's insane. The only sanity will come from the church. The only goodness, wholeness, and purity will come from the church of Christ. But in order to be that church, we have to choose to be that church. We have to choose to say, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Amen. And that's what today is all about. For those of you who do this regularly, I I sometimes forget to mention this. The sermon, the message is on the YouVersion Bible app and under events. So if you go to YouVersion Bible app, search for events, you can follow along and make your own notes as you follow with me. Um, Yeah. We are finishing our series called The Teacher today. It's been quite a journey. It's been quite amazing, and we thank God for that. 
I don't see Neil here today. Is Neil Brebart, is he here today? Not. So in his absence, I just want to take a moment and thank him for painting this from scratch for our series. And every other theme every week, he's been painting for us. So in his absence, can we just say thank you, Neil? It's really been amazing. We are grateful for that. And he painted yet another great one for today that I'll show you in a moment. First, I want to do a quick recap because I know how easily when we walk out of here and we go into life, we might forget the things that we learned. We might forget the things that God spoke to us about. I've been very blessed to hear some feedback from people in the church saying how much this series has meant to them, what it's done in their lives. Um, so I thank God for that. But as we, as we look back, we started looking at how Jesus healed the masses and how they brought more people. He healed more people. And that became the crowd that he was preaching to. And God showed us to do the same thing. So we had a, we had a healing moment before we started teaching on this Sermon on the Mount. And we saw people get healed on that day. And then we saw how powerful it is when we start really meditating on what Jesus means when he says you are blessed. When we went into every beatitude and spoke about what that means. And then we talked about how Jesus called us as his children to be earth salt and world light. The, light, the, earth, the salt of the earth and the light of the world and what that means. And we saw what Jesus meant by saying, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Then we saw how he took two specific commandments to not commit adultery and to not murder and how he made it an issue of the heart and how we need to be aware of that. And then we spoke about how do we handle the issue of divorce in the church? How do we handle oaths, making promises? How do we handle it when someone injures us? How do we handle our enemies and Jesus said some stuff that's very hard for us to hear because he calls us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, amen? And then we saw how Jesus taught on how we should give when we give to the needy. What should our posture be? When we pray, how should we pray? And when we fast, how should we fast? And we saw how important it is to do all those things in secret, we call that secret service. That's the thing we do in secret. We, we give that no one else knows. We pray that no one else sees. And we fast so that no one else knows. Why? Because then God, who sees in secret, will reward us in the open. That's what Jesus promises. And then last week, we spoke about what it means to bank in First Kingdom Bank. What does it mean to have our treasure in the right place. And we asked the tough question, where is your treasure really? What do you treasure most? And as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, I think, I hope it's been become glaringly obvious that there's actually been one theme throughout this whole thing. And we're gonna get stuck into that today as well. And as we end this series, our last message that encapsulates the last few sermon points is called hear and do. Hear and do. And that's how Jesus ends his sermon on the mount. And we'll get into that just now. 
But ultimately, he is talking about this is the kingdom way. This is the world's way. I'm calling you to walk the kingdom way. Amen? How many of you can get excited about that? All right. How many of you know that choosing to do that will make you look weird to the world? The Bible calls us a peculiar people. People from the world should look at us and go, you're weird. You're different. Why do you speak that way? Why do you think that way? I'll never forget when people go, when people, uh, this one lady was at our house and she asked a letter after a while, you guys keep saying, God said, I heard God say this. How do you hear God? (laughs) We are weird to the world and we should embrace that and get excited about it because someone will be so intrigued by why you have the smile on your face, the hope that you have, sorry, those of you who have smiles on your faces, um, about loving Jesus, they will want to know, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? Why do you trust and believe when circumstances don't line up with what you're trusting for and believing for? People should go, how does that work? Amen? So today we're gonna talk about hear and do. I wanna ask you as we start out, have you ever been to a, a restaurant and you ordered something from the waiter. As far as you could tell, the waiter was looking at you and heard you. But then they came with the wrong order. Or they totally forgot about you and didn't bring, anyone ever had that experience? If it was me as a student, I'm sorry. I was a really bad waiter. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty useless. I couldn't remember anything. I don't know why. I just got all flustered. But what happened was you said something, they heard you, but they didn't do what you asked. Do we have any parents in the house today? Any parents? Come on, lift up your hands with excitement. Yes, I'm a parent. Have you ever asked your child to do something and then the child heard you, but didn't do what you said? Anyone? Anyone? Ever ever happened? (laughs) If you grew up in a house like me, you would have often heard your mom say, you hear me, but you don't listen to me. I've always wondered like, what's the difference? (laughs) The one is just audio coming in and the other one has a response, I think. But what she really meant was you're hearing me, but you're not doing what I'm saying. Now, on a slightly more serious note, I want you to imagine an operating room in a hospital. The top neurosurgeon in the country is busy performing an experimental brain surgery on a patient. He has selected the best team. The other doctors, nurses, the anesthesiologist are all people he can depend on. He trained for this his entire career and there cannot be one wrong move by one millimeter even. Now I want you to imagine this surgeon has handed over authority of a certain task to a junior doctor to do a small but significant task as a part of the whole procedure. He tells the junior doctor exactly what to do, but he, the junior doctor, in a moment of pride and hastiness to impress the senior doctor, makes a one millimeter mistake and he severs an artery in the patient's brain. 
that causes catastrophic complications. And the, parent, the patient barely makes it out. They only makes it out because the experienced doctor was able to step in and fix what the junior doctor messed up. Now, obviously, brain surgery is very serious. I don't know about you, but when I go, to, if ever, God forbid, but if I ever have to go to a brain surgeon, I would want him to have done well in his class, right? Like he, he, should, he should have done at least 90% and up, right? <laughs> other, other professions, you don't look at someone's degree mark, right? But when it's a neurosurgeon, you're probably going to check, check him out. So brain surgery is quite serious. But I want to tell you today what is more serious than brain surgery or heart surgery or anything like that, exponentially more important is where each and every one of us will spend eternity. That is way more serious. And that is also dependent on whether we hear our master's voice and does what he says. Now, I want you to imagine that the God of the universe who created all things, including you and me, all of us, I want you to imagine he has a mission and he, has, he calls on you to play a vital role in this mission. Like the senior doctor asked the junior doctor, he's calling you to play a vital role in this mission. He calls together a strategic planning meeting and reveals his cosmic plan to save souls in the world. And for you, he says, I've got specific souls for you in the area in which I placed you. He entrusts you with an integral part of the strategy. He tells you what to do. You hear him. But the question is, would you do what you heard him say? Will you answer the call? How will you steward that responsibility? Well, the, the scenario is actually no different than the calling that is already on your life. I want you to know that you already have a calling on your life. But will you hear and do what God instructs for you? Or will you hear and do what you want? Will you hear his voice but choose to follow your heart? Will you hear his truth but choose to follow your truth? Like many people in the world say. What if your heart... And what if your truth is completely out of line with God's heart and God's truth? And, and what if you find yourself in a place where you thought you were doing everything right, but you were actually doing it for yourself and your kingdom? In other words, you were worshiping yourself and your ideas, your heart, your thoughts, and not God's ways. In this final chapter, chapter Matthew 7, Jesus' epic sermon on the mount comes to a close. He has several more sermon points, and I believe all of them fall under this heading. Hear and do. Hear what I say and do what I say. Now, as we usually do here at Love Key Church, I'm going to read the whole chapter because context is very important. And I want you to hear this as a whole and I want you to also think back on what we've already read and bring that all together. And I want you to imagine, like we played that video in the beginning of Jesus teaching those thousands of people. He did it in one go, from the start to the, to the end. 
epic sermon. I want you to hear this in that context. So let us read together, and I want to ask you to engage. Don't engage intellectually, engage spiritually. Are you ready? Do you believe the Word of God is the Word of God? Will you obey the Word of God? All right, here we go. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the same, for what judgment you, sorry, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give precious things to dogs and pigs, sorry, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, and for him to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it, who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat down on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat down on that house, and it fell, 
and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Amen. Have a great Sunday. (laughs) How powerful. How powerful is that? All right. We're going to break them down and take on each one of them. So firstly, the first subheading is judge not. He says, do not judge. Judge not that you do not be judged. How many of you like to be judged? You just get excited, you know, when someone judges you. How many of you have said it, don't judge me? How many of you have posted something online and you were judged? (laughs) Let's be honest, no one really likes to be judged, right? This is why we especially hear people say it a lot, don't judge me. Why is the average person so sensitive to being the object of someone else's judgment? I think it's partly because the average person's level of insecurity. And I think most people actually feel a bit inadequate already. They already feel like a bit of a failure. They already feel like they don't know how to cope or do what they need to do already. Or maybe they've got imposter syndrome. And now you you judge them and they feel like all those insecurities are true. And in order to protect themselves from feeling what they don't want to feel, they just throw up walls and go, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And we are sensitive, uh, when that person now becomes aware that they're being judged by another, especially if it's a point that is highly sensitive due to their weakness, it will trigger anger and walls. I already said that, sorry. Jesus teaches here that if you are not ready to face your own flaws and willing to be judged in the same way and by the same standards that you, are will, or that you want to judge others by, then you should probably stay quiet. In other words, if you are ready, you look at something, you see something happen, and you, in, your, in your mind, in your heart, you go, this is wrong. So that's a judgment. You've made a judgment call based on what that person is doing. But he's saying, unless you are willing to be judged in the same way and by the same standard that you are judging that person, maybe be quiet. How many of you grew up in a home where your mom said, if you've got nothing good to say, rather be quiet. (laughs) Amen? That's kind of part of that. But this is so much deeper and so much better than that. But I, I want, let's, Jesus is obviously talking figuratively, but let's make it literal for a moment. I want you to imagine someone with a large stick protruding from their eye socket. And they, you see this scene. They've got a stick sticking out of their eye. And they are speaking to someone who's got like a little piece of wood on the like corner of their eye. And he is telling this person, how bad they are, what they've done wrong, all their shortcomings. And when you are looking at this, you would be tempted to judge (laughs) and say, hey dude, you've got a stick in your eye. 
Doesn't it hurt? Maybe get rid of that before you even think of giving others your input. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he tells us not to be hypocrites when it comes to our own weaknesses and our own sin. But he says we should deal with it, we should recognize it and get rid of it. So ask yourself, do I have a plank in my own spiritual eye? Do I have a weakness? Do I have something that is actually blinding me? Because listen to this, he does not say to leave the speck in the brother's eyes. He actually ends off by saying, remove the plank from your eye so that you can help your brother remove the speck. So Jesus is not saying the brother doesn't have a speck. He's just saying, make sure that you're not coming from a place of self-righteousness where you are not yourself healthy spiritually. Are, we, are you with me? But what he, at the same time he's saying is that love one another well enough that if someone does have a speck and you have taken care of your own plank to say, hey, I love you so much, bro. I, I just want to show you, you may have a blind spot here in your life and to lovingly bring that to their attention. Amen? Then Jesus goes on to say, do not give what is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine. I've read up on this statement and there are many different opinions about what Jesus really means when he says that. But the fact that he says it in context with this whole thing of judgment, judging others and then going straight into this, I believe he's teaching us to have spiritual discernment when it comes to people we choose to share our knowledge of Christ with and our wisdom that we have. Holy things... What are holy things? Holy means set apart. Holy things are things that are set apart by God. He has sanctified it. When we recognize and realize that we ha what we have is precious, we should use godly discernment about how and with whom we share it. Even Jesus told his disciples, when they go somewhere and the people are not responding with faith, that they should shake the dust off their feet and leave and take their peace with them. In the time of Jesus, as I've read up on this, people weren't actually keeping dogs as pets. They were more like nuisances running around crazy, almost hunting in packs, trying to scavenge. So they were quite an irritation. They were dirty and they were not liked. And pigs, we would know, are seen by the Jewish people as unclean, unholy. So both dogs and pigs are not a very pretty sight. And Jesus is saying, do not give holy things or pearls to these because there's a warning on top of it. They will abuse what you give and they might turn around and tear you to pieces. We must be able to discern firstly that what we have is holy and has great unique value like a pearl and also be able to discern who those people are that might be like scavengers or unholy who will only trample on the holy and precious things um, who wants to come and devour us. So on the one hand, do not judge a brother unless you've dealt with your own stuff and then help them into purity. On the other side, when it's about people that will not appreciate what you have to offer, be able to discern. And it might be necessary, if we talk about sharing what we know about God with others, it might be necessary 
to, to go, Jesus, to what extent do I share what you've given me to this person? Because sometimes we might want to start off with the whole story, story and the other person can't appreciate it yet. You might need to first build relationship or pray for them for a softening of the heart. All right? Then Jesus goes on to talk about also what we're saying today. The whole thing of asking, seeking, and knocking. And then he promises everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks for them it will be opened. And then he compares it to earthly dads who will not give a bad gift to their, to their child. And he says, you earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more will your father in heaven not be ready to give good gifts? In the same um, piece of the Sermon on the Mount, when we read it in Luke, Jesus adds, if you ask the father, he will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, the context is very important. Jesus starts out with, Asking, seeking, and knocking, and ends the segment with asking from seeking to be near and knocking on the door of the Father. Also note that an earthly father will not withhold healthy and good things from his son when the son asks for something healthy and good. And I think the parents would agree. Bread, he's using specific examples of bread and fish, which is healthy and good. If a child asks for something healthy and good, you as a good parent will give it to them. Now, it's interesting to note that it's also what Jesus used to feed the 5,000 was fish and bread. That's just a side note. The son did not ask for something selfish or evil. I think it's important to note that. How many of you have had your kids come up to you in a shop and go, I want this and I want this and I want that. And and you're like, no, it's not good for you. Anyone? All right. So that's why it's important for us to make sure we understand what is good gifts according to Jesus. Because when you ask and when you seek and when you knock with an expectation that's earthly or carnal or selfish, you might probably, you will probably be disappointed. Do I understand that? Now Jesus contrasts earthly fathers with our heavenly father and they so pale in comparison that he actually calls earthly father evil compared to God that is so loving. But he teaches a very important principle that we need to get. If our evil earthly fathers know how to give good things to their children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? Now, in this New King James Version that we read, there's the word therefore, followed by the principle that you should treat others as you would like them to treat you. In the NIV, it says so in everything. And in the ESV, it also says so whatever. So there's a connection between the thought of we need to ask our Father in heaven for good things and he will give it to us and the idea of do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Do we see that? It seems like the statement follows one, the one about asking, seeking, and knocking. So it would seem that Jesus is sharing a principle the same way you would like to receive good heavenly gifts from God when you ask him you should probably be ready to answer and be found open um, to those who request good things from you. Do we see that connection? Do you have an attitude of being ready to give good things to those who ask, seek, and knock in your life? 
I think Jesus is telling us, are you prepared to do unto others what you expect God to do for you? Do we see that connection? And this whole thing about doing unto others you want doing unto yourself, it is not a selfish thing. Because some of us, especially as a child, you were taught that in terms of basic things, manners, good manners, bad manners, whatever. But it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. It's the, the spiritual principles of things. So first of all, what do we need to be able to do? We need to be able to discern what is good. What is good according to God's standard, according to His definition of goodness? How many of you know? How many of you know what's good according to God? Have you ever done a study on that? I want to encourage you to do that. Because you will find that what is good to God and what's good to you is probably two different things. Then, when I've discerned what is good according to God, but okay, let me give you a tip. The same way that you as a parent should know, should know, what is good for your children, what's not good for your children, the same way God knows it for you. How many of you have said no to your child or not done or given something to your child and your child was upset? What did your child think? This is not good. Mom, dad, how could you not? This is not good. And you as a parent with a different perspective looked at your child and the circumstances knowing better than your child saying no out of love. Or not now, out of love. Because you know what is good. For your child, in that moment, the child does not see from your perspective. The child does not know and understand. So the child might rebel and get upset. For them it is not good. And in the same way, we sometimes approach God. We decide, this is good. I want this God. I am asking, seeking, and knocking for this thing that is good according to me. Now I ask, and I seek, and I knock, and that good thing doesn't come. Now what happens? I am disappointed. I had an appointment, now I'm dissed. Now it's a disappointment. I set myself up for disappointment because I lacked, lacked maturity and wisdom. The wise thing to do as a child of God is to let him decide what is good. And if you don't understand, to not get upset, but wait, lean in more. Keep asking, seeking and knocking, but with the heart of asking him to reveal to you what really is good. Because the world has told us something completely different. And we expect a life that's happy according to what the world thinks a life that is happy should be. And what is that? A life with no discomfort, with more money than you can dream of, with absolutely no inconveniences, no suffering, and no trouble. And if you're honest, you would say, yes, I would like one, please. What does Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because in me you will have peace, for I've overcome the world. James 1, 
Count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. Romans 5, verse 3. Glory in tribulation. But every time there's a promise that we will build character and have hope. I felt I needed to just stand still on that for a moment. But the point is that when we ask, seek, and knock, in this context, Jesus is talking about asking, seeking, and knocking on the door of the Father. Not a corporation, not online shopping, not your bank manager, the Father. Do we understand that? That's why the context is so important. So we need to discern what is good according to God. We need to be intentional and proactive and give or answer, be found and open the door to others. Important that we do not give to get. Very important. I'm not doing what Jesus says in order to get what I think is due me or what is selfish. And we request things in line with God's will and in line with what is necessary. God has told us, Jesus has told us in the Sermon on the Mount many times, God knows what you need. He knows it. He keeps telling us that. He knows what you need. He already knows. You don't have to come with your shopping list. He wants you. He wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to come with, with your heart, with your spirit, with who you are, and just spend time with him. That's what it means to seek the kingdom. So far, we've gone through a few of these sermon points. Jesus is saying something. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Will you do it? Okay. The next part, he talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. He talks about the broad way and the difficult way. Jesus offers only two options with no middle ground. Did you see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount? He never gives a middle ground option. With Jesus, there's no gray area. Have you noticed that? Who finds that a bit annoying? <laughs> I really want to find some gray in this. But there is no way. There's two kingdoms, darkness and light. There's two ways, his way and the other way, which is not his way. He speaks of two gates. What do you do with a gate? You enter it, it keeps something in, it keeps something out, but you go through it. The wide gate leads to the broad way that leads to destruction, he says. The narrow gate takes you to a difficult way, but it leads to life. The broad way has many people on it, and the difficult way has few who find it. Notice that he says about the broad way, there are many who go in by it, and about the difficult way, there are few who find it. So he's saying that many are moving on this broad way. And he specifically says about the narrow gate, few find it. The ESV says those who enter the broad way are many, and also those who find the difficult way are few. A wide gate with a broad way you think that'll be easier to find? Big gate, big road. Many will. They won't even try. They will, it's just there. Amen? 
But the narrow gate with the difficult way will be harder to actually find in the first place. So you would really have to want it. Because you will have to seek to find it. You must want to go there. So even the this, this step of, hey, look at this. There's a wide gate with a broad way. It's really easy. And then, so your worldly friend is looking at this going, that looks lacquer. I'm going to go there. Look at all the people. How many of you guys, when you, <laughs> you speak to the young people, those of you who used to party in your young days, yeah, yeah, put up your hand. I'm kidding. How did you choose a club to go and party at? The one with the most people. Why? Because that's where most of the sin is happening. Right? That's where it's lacquer. Uh, be honest. If there's a lots of people, there's lots of chance for you to do stuff that your flesh wants to do. It's the same way. The broad way looks lacquer and easy. So imagine a worldly person seeing the wide gate and the broad way going, woohoo! And then he looks at his friend going, what are you doing? What are you looking for? There's nothing there. He says, no, it is here somewhere. I'm going to keep looking. You're nuts, bro. Look at this. It's already there. It's easy. I don't care. There's something more. And when that person has struggled and found the narrow gate with the difficult way, where few are, it leads to life. The other way looks great. It feels very nice for the flesh, but it leads to destruction. What is that? Everlasting death in hell. When we look at the world right now, it should be glaringly obvious that the wide gate with the broad way is full of deceived people. It's definitely full of evil people, but there's also a lot of deceived people who think they are on the right track. And that those who have made the effort to actually find the narrow gate and to step onto what the, the walk that is more difficult, that, that there are more troubles on, they are very few. Would you agree? So here's a question for all of us. Each of us need to ask this question. Which gate did I enter through? And which way am I on? For real. Here's the clue. I've already given it, but here's it again. The broad way is easy. So if you find yourself somewhere where it's easy all the time, all the way, you might be on the broad way. Do you know why it's easy? The devil doesn't worry about you. You're not a threat. If you're on the narrow way, living for Yahweh, then you know it's going to be challenging. Why? Because every step of the difficult narrow way is going to take away whatever flesh might still be there. It's going to build your character. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you want to be more like Jesus. And it's going to make you be someone that others can look to and say, I want to be like that guy. 
Amen. How many of you know someone who's highly, in your eyes, highly successful, influential, and has blessed your life that have had no trouble or suffering along the way to get where they are? No hard work. Everything just fell in their lap. Anyone know someone like that? It doesn't exist. It's the same with the kingdom. Then Jesus goes on to speak about false prophets. He speaks specifically about false prophets. So not a true prophet, a false prophet. So whatever he is saying is not truthful. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone who reveals the truth about the future. Someone who is a voice of God for their generation. Do you agree? So what would a false prophet do? He would give what sounds like truth about the future in order to captivate people's minds with future promises by getting everyone to future trip on the fantasy that he made up. Does that make sense? It's gone very quiet. A false prophet will create a word from God about what will happen in the future that will tickle people's ears so they get excited about what will come. So now he gets a whole bunch of people to future trip on the fantasy that he made up, but they are thinking they are following a word from God. Does that make more sense? How will we know that someone is a false prophet? Well, it'll be shown by the fruit. What do you think will be the main fruit a false prophet will be caught out by? What he said doesn't happen. But how many of you know that false prophets are normally clever and when it doesn't happen, they find a new way to say, no, 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 but, (laughs) and they change their story. Why does he call them a wolf in sheep's clothing? Because he's pretending to be one of the fold of Jesus, but he is not. You must understand, a false prophet is a non-believer. And his intention is to kill, steal, and destroy by getting as much out of every person who is willing to believe him. He is like a parasite. How do we discern a false prophet? Once again, by the fruit. By also asking the Holy Spirit for discernment and testing each word that the wolf says against Scripture. Does what he says line up with the Word of God? Those of us who don't know the Word of God very well will struggle to discern if someone is a false prophet. Because what do you measure it by? Typically, a false prophet will be very charismatic and loud and exciting and invite you in, and you'll go, like, Wow, this is amazing. It sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about. I can say any sentence. If I say it with enough authority, at least one person will go, wow, that must be true. Wow, yeah. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone around a braai or just a dinner table says something that goes directly against what you believe, but for a moment you doubt what you believed because they sound so convincing? Are you solid in what you believe? Are you built on the rock that false prophets will not sway you? 
Jesus is saying something here. Will we hear and do it? Then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yo, this part is rough. This part should make us all sit upright and check ourselves regularly. Amen? Because what is he saying? Lip service is no service. Lip service is no service. Lord, Lord, in your name I cast out demons. Blah, blah, blah. Lip service is no service. Anyone here ever had someone say to you, I love you. I will do anything for you. Anyone ever found that? I love you. If you love me, you will do this, this, and this. Anyone heard that before? I will do anything for love. Everyone from the 90s go, yeah, I listened to that song. I sang it. I slow danced on it. Fell in love on that song. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my word. I love you. And the other one. Said I loved you, but I lied. Because this is more than love I feel inside. I could never sing as high as Michael, but I still like the songs. This is a, these are words that's only lip service. Because unless the love is shown, it is just lip service. This is what Jesus is saying essentially. Each person's true motives will be revealed eventually. And on the great day of the Lord, it will be glaringly obvious who was really following him. Notice that Jesus specifically mentions that they would petition him in three ways and that each one is connected to the use of his name. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. What did you just spoke about? False prophets. Jesus, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast our demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. This word knowing, I never knew you, implies an intimate relationship. There was a time in my life when I was kind of famous in the music scene. And at that time, it wasn't uncommon for sound engineers from sound companies that I would do a show and they would do the sound and then they would want to take a photo with me and they want to put it up on a wall somewhere. Now, some sound people and sound companies knew what they were doing and I didn't mind that they put a photo of me up on their wall. Because what they would do is for new prospective clients to sell them on using them was to say, hey, look, we did sound for Heinz. <laughs> so they are using my name. Now, some companies where I came there, the sound was shocking. It was bad. <laughs> I wanted to just get out of there. I think one of the worst moments I had was in the town hall of Vereniging. We sent them a tech rider, which is the technical specs of what we want. 
And they said, we've got it all. I'm like, okay, cool. We got there. What they failed to mention was that all they got was as old as Noah's Ark. And it was falling apart. Yes, we do have speakers. I remember I had a floor monitor right over here with a cable in it. And if I stepped on it and moved it slightly forward, I could hear myself. So I would do the whole show like this, trying to just get a sound out of the speaker. When they asked for a photo, I was less excited because they would use my name and I did not endorse them. It's much less important, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's stating in no uncertain terms that anyone who is in essence is using his name without permission where does the word permission comes from? Per mission. There's a mission. I've, been, I've received a word from God to do what I'm doing. It's per his mission. If you've not gotten the permission and it's not from a place of genuine relationship, he says you will not enter the kingdom of God. In other words, you can be busy with lip service for the kingdom of God but end up not in the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? That should make us all think very clearly about where we are and what we believe. Why does he say to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness? In another translation, it says evildoers. Why does he say to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness? It's because they are operating outside of lawlessness, outside of the law of God. One way to see this is that they are, law, they are lawless in the sense that they don't follow the two main commandments from the Old Testament that Jesus highlighted as the most important commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't follow those laws, you are lawless. Many people use the name of Jesus to just get followers to just make money or to make themselves famous. They want to use the name of Jesus to become famous and build their own kingdom. This is what Jesus is talking about. Another way is that because they are not in intimate relationship with Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and prophets, they do not have the benefit of being in Jesus and therefore no longer subject to the law. Did you understand that? When we spoke about Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets, the word is very clear. It says that Jesus nailed to the cross every prescript of the law so that when we are in him, the law is fulfilled for us. It means that we don't have to go and die on a cross. He did it for us. So if someone is using the Lord's name in a way not from relationship, not from being in Christ, they are still subject to the law. Does that make sense? Okay. I know we're over our time, but please bear with me. We're almost there. The bottom line for us and our application of this is make sure that you have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus so that when you do use the name above all names, it is from a place of relationship and that there's a spiritual understanding. Otherwise, we could be blaspheming 
by using his name in vain. Do we understand that? Do you understand the weight of being a child of God and using the name? The name that can change lives, the name that can heal bodies, the name can see the dead rise and demons shudder. That is the name. Have you earned the right to use that name by receiving Christ as your savior, by entering the narrow gate and walking the difficult way? That is the question before us. And then Jesus ends his epic sermon by saying, therefore whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says it himself about all the sayings of the whole Sermon on the Mount, this whole series. He calls, he calls it my sayings. I've been saying things to you. And each of them are very important. If you do it, if you apply it, you are wise. And once again, he doesn't create a middle ground. He says, if you hear them and do them, you are wise. If you hear them and don't do them, you are foolish. Boom. Not kind of, not sort of, if you. So let us each take a moment and ask ourselves, as we have journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount the last few weeks, am I applying all that Jesus teaches? This is how we will know whether we are wise or foolish. None of us want to be judged as foolish. <laughs> we want to be judged by God as wise. How will your house be if you build on the rock of Jesus? If Jesus is the rock that we build on by doing what he says, then we are firm, we are solid, we are strong. And listen to this, very important. Then we can withstand the storms of life that will come. Jesus once again says, when the storms come, the one who builds on my word will stand. The one who did not build on my word will be completely destroyed and the destruction will be great. Two extremes. I know some people here love a bell curve. There's no bell curve. There's this or that. You are either completely fully sold out or you are in some way compromised. And that actually brings you to the other place. And I'm not saying that to scare or to make people feel weird or condemned. Not at all. I'm sharing with you the truth of what Jesus preached and how important this is to him because it's important to us to know that this is how we need to live. But can you see, those of us who are going through some kind of storm in our life, I want you to know that the way you weather that storm is to be built on the rock. And the rock, I, I felt as a child, I don't know, some of you might feel this as well. This is part of, what can happen with cultural Christianity. I built my house on the rock when I built my life on Jesus. Pinstrip, like that's, that's the whole truth. How many of you think that? As long as I build my house on Jesus, I will stand. Anyone thought that as a child? I thought that and it sounded good, right? But he's not saying build it on me. The na the, he's not saying build it on the idea of Jesus. He's saying to build it on hearing and doing his word. The rock comes from obedience. 
the rock, the firmness, the strength comes from obedience. It comes from listening to this and saying, I will do this. I may not understand it completely. I may sometimes make a mistake. But my heart and my soul and my everything is to do his will, to seek his kingdom. Then you are on the rock. Then when the storms come, you will stand and not be destroyed. Some of you may feel like along the way you have been destroyed already. Like you've taken some serious knocks. And if you look back now, maybe take a moment and say, was I hearing and doing the word of God at that season in my life? And some of us might think, realize, shucks, no, I wasn't. Maybe you even had good intentions to do the will of God, but with now, with a clearer perspective, you realize, I was way off. The good news is, the story is not over, and Jesus can reconcile, redeem, and bring grace to any situation that you might be in. But we have to get this idea out of our minds that when I'm in Jesus, everything will go great and perfect and easy. That is the broad way. If you want easy, go the broad way that leads to destruction. But if you want life and life eternal, you have to enter the narrow gate, walk with Jesus through the difficult stuff, get plugged into a church, serve, grow, be matured so that you can be the man of God, the, the woman of God, the child of God that he wants you to be. That is what it takes. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.